Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. This week, we're talking unsolicited proposals, and this episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Visit skywayacq.com to learn more. All right, let's get started. It's fairly common knowledge that the government encourages new and innovative ideas through the solicitations they release and things like small business innovative research topics and now even through through pitch days at, at some agencies where you go in and pitch ideas. Yeah, the idea is to, to be able to have access to innovative t- technology and solutions quickly or more quickly. <laughs> That's probably the way to say it. When industry has new or innovative ideas that, that don't fall under areas, uh, topics that are, that are openly published under solicitations or SIBRs or, or any of those techniques, industry can submit their idea as an unsolicited proposal. Unsolicited proposals, they allow these unique and innovative ideas or, or approaches that have been developed outside the government to make them available to the government agencies so they can meet their mission with these new and innovative technologies, ideas, et cetera. So the idea is something is happening outside the government. They want to insert it in effectively and efficiently and quickly. Before we say the words unique and innovative again, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Susanna Gergen. Uh, Susanna is a proposal coordinator at Business Management Research Associates, BMRA. Uh, She's in the Manassas, Virginia area. I want to thank Susanna for engaging with Amber, Amber's from our marketing team, specifically to explain how she uses our podcast episodes and how they've been, and I'm quoting here, great for providing context about the acquisition process from the contracting officer's perspective. That's exactly why we started this thing seven years ago. So to hear that the listeners getting that value, it just makes my day. Thanks, Susanna. Back to unsolicited proposals. It's a common belief, and, and maybe true, that, that standard government procurement procedures can be slow, cumbersome, excessively prescriptive. What happens is contractors have to conform to and comply with the government's concept, their, their requirements, and their approach, and the solicitation. All the rules for submit exactly this information exactly this way. Unsolicited proposals, on the other hand, they're a way, not the only way, <laughs> just we'll talk about that later, but they're a way for contractors to get their products or services submitted for evaluation and, and possible contract award without having to wait for a government solicitation or, or announcement, without having to wait for that formal process. So this is a means, again, not the only way, to allow contractors to innovate and propose new interesting ideas that the government hasn't previously conceived or identified. So something the government may not be thinking about, an unsolicited proposal is a way to put it in front of them. Yep. They have not yet written a requirement for it because they don't know the idea exists. This is straight out of the FAR. FAR 15.602 is the policy. It says it is the policy of the government to encourage the submission of new and innovative ideas in response to broad agency announcements, small business innovative research topics, small business technology transfer research topics, program research and development announcements, and any other government-initiated solicitation or program. Here's the good part. That was not a quote. Back to the quote. (laughs) 
<laughs> when new and innovative ideas do not fall under topic areas publicized by these programs or techniques, the ideas may be submitted as unsolicited proposal. So that sounds like a great idea. But there's a catch, and it can be a rather large one. A valid unsolicited proposal must have, have some characteristics in it. This is straight out of the FAR as well, FAR 15.603. A valid unsolicited proposal must be innovative and unique. There's those words again. Be prepared without government supervision, endorsement direction, or direct government involvement. Include sufficient detail to permit a determination that, that government support could be worthwhile and that the, the proposed work could, will benefit the agency or, or the mission. A valid unsolicited proposal cannot be just ahead of, a, of an agency requirement, a known agency requirement that they're already planning to acquire competitively. You can't just say, well, your RFP is not coming out for three months, but I'm going to submit my proposal now. So award to me and skip all that stuff. doesn't work that way. A valid unsolicited proposal can't reach back and address a previously published agency requirement. So if they already said we'd like to buy this but decided not to for some reason, can't dip back into the well. And it must be independently originated and developed by the offer. That goes back to being prepared without government supervision, endorsement, direction, or involvement. This is the beginning of a, of a good capture plan for a new solution that you want to sell to the government. This list out of the FAR if you think about it's innovative, it's something they haven't thought of before, it's something they haven't put on a solicitation before, this is a list of things that you would be doing when you're engaging with your customer, with the government customer, to say, this is why you need what we have, which goes back to a way <laughs> to get a contract could be an unsolicited proposal, but it's not the only way. In order to help industry understand how to submit an unsolicited proposal and to who, and avoid just random unsolicited proposals showing up, agencies, government agencies need to share information. And again, FAR Part 15, now we're up to 604. It starts out paragraph A, preliminary contact with agency technical or other appropriate personnel before preparing a detailed unsolicited proposal or submitting proprietary information to the government may save considerable time and effort for both parties. I would say that it will save <laughs> considerable time and effort. That's so a, this is the foot stomper. Yeah, super important phrase there. Make sure that you on the industry side have, have talked to the agency first and see if they're even interested before you go to the time and effort to submit a proposal. And we'll talk more about why that matters to both sides in a minute. In order to make this process easier and save time and effort, the FAR requires agencies to, to publish certain information so that industry understands what, what an unsolicited proposal looks like for this agency. The agency has to publish what they want to see, what, what they would consider acceptable as an unsolicited proposal in order to evaluate it, what, what it looks like, what's in it. They also advise industry you have to be a responsible contractor or be able to be determined to be a responsible contractor and have no organizational conflicts of interest. So these are things that companies that don't regularly do business with the government may not understand. Next, agencies have to publish, what are our other methods for getting innovative ideas? We have open a broad agency announcement. We have SIBRs coming up. We, we have these other 
programs that are already out there that you could submit this to and we could award so that it's not unsolicited. It's actually in response to those solicitations. Government agencies have to publish their points of contact for these types of things, like put the names and email addresses out there, put them on the website so, so that you know how to get in touch with the right people. It's hard, it's hard to talk to people about your idea if you don't know who to call. You can't just dial 1-800-AIR-FORCE and, and find the right person, right? It doesn't, doesn't work that way. The next bits of information, agencies need to publish their objectives and their areas of interest, just so you know what they're interested in, how you would submit and how they would evaluate an unsolicited proposal, how you mark your proprietary information to make sure that they don't mess up and, and unintentionally share your secret sauce with, with other people. And of course, agencies should always remind offers or submitters of unsolicited proposals that only a contracting officer has the authority to bind the government. And that's something, again, a company that has an innovative idea that isn't used to dealing with the government may not be clear on. If you, valued industry partner, decide to submit an unsolicited proposal, it's all they could ever done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the government has to justify awarding it. They can't just say, this is great, we'll do it. So 15607, we're scrolling through 15.6. This is the criteria for acceptance and negotiation of an unsolicited proposal. And there's two big bullets here. The first one talks about a favorable evaluation does not in itself justify awarding a contract without competing it. Even if you've got a good evaluation, they still have the government still has to ask, is this available without restriction from somebody else? Are you really the only one that can do this? Does this look like something we've competed before? Does it relate to our mission? Are you sending us something that's not even related to what we do? And does it demonstrate an innovative and unique method? There that is again, right? And if it doesn't, <laughs> we're going to send it back to you. Or is the proposal just not very good? All of those things they have to consider. Right. The second big element of 15607 is paragraph B. The contracting officer may commence negotiations on a sole source basis only when your proposal received a, a, a favorable evaluation. The technical office sponsoring it has funds <laughs> to actually pay for this. Yeah, they have to have money. There it is. The contracting officer has complied with the synopsis requirements. In other words, they published that the, the fact that they're going to award this contract. And then finally, and this is a big one, a justification and approval has been obtained. In other words, the contracting officer and or the acquisition team at the contracting officer signs the justification and approval for awarding to only one company. So even after all that, they still have to justify awarding to only you. So they don't get to step, skip a lot of these steps. What you're saying is if your idea is not as innovative or unique as you think it is, if other companies could easily do it and it's not all proprietary, the government can't just decide to give you the work. They're going to have to compete Bingo. it. An unsolicited proposal is not usually the path of least resistance to award. How many ideas are truly innovative and unique or proprietary? There's, they're always, not always, it's very common that there are other companies that can do the same thing, right? So getting that sole source authorization through a justification approval can be a high hurdle. The government has other paths to do the same thing. They could say, hey, this is a great idea. We think there's some other companies that are going to be able to provide this. We're going to make it a requirement and run a limited competition. 
We're just going to pick the top three companies that we think have the capabilities to a quick competition. And you know what? <laughs> You're probably in the best position to win because you know all about this. And for the other companies, it's going to be a little more of a surprise and a little more of a scramble. The government could also say, we have a contractor that has this sort of concept within their scope right now. Perhaps you could be a subcontractor to them. We could give them an award and you could just jump on that train. That could be another quick way to accomplish it. They may also say, we have a broad agency announcement that is so broad, this fits into it. So that is a solicitation. You don't have to submit an unsolicited proposal. You can submit a proposal against in response to that BAA. There are a lot of paths that might be easier than running through the gauntlet of issuing uh, of, of justifying a sole source award as a result of your unsolicited proposal. As you might guess, the unsolicited proposal process, it, it sort of short circuits the acquisition time zones. You, you're still, you go through them, but not quite in the same way. You go through them very quickly. Oh, the biggest issue is that you're not waiting for the government to have the requirement. If it's truly an unsolicited idea, you're establishing a requirement. And then that's, that's the requirement zone. And then the market research zone is where the, the government comes up with a strategy to award to you, which could be the unsolicited proposal, but it could be those other ones you just you just mentioned to, through a BAA or through add, adding you to an existing vehicle or some other some other approach. But this is a rapid ascension <laughs> through the acquisition time zones. And if you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, we cover those in episode number three. All right, like you said, Kevin, an unsolicited proposal is just one way that industry can get their innovative ideas in it and lead the government's research and development and procurement process instead of waiting for a requirement to, to be published, right? The, the traditional way is if you want to sell something to the government, you have to convince them to make it a requirement and then you're competing. We also said this may not be the path of least resistance. So, so tell me, as a government contracting officer or a government acquisition office employee, how does some government folks view unsolicited proposals it's 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 a what, what do you call it? fighting words <laughs> it, <laughs> it creates it creates extra work um it is a specific phrase that will catch my ear um i actually provided training to one of our customers about this idea and in the commercial space doing an unsolicited proposal doesn't have a trail of work behind it in the government space it does it has its own section in far part 15 after all as a contracting officer, a couple of the commands I worked in, we called it the freak file, where <laughs> we had like these random ideas that would come in. They came in through unsolicited proposals. We'd never heard of the person. They had this, this crate. In some cases, it was a really out there idea. And so to me, unsolicited proposals, it's not a, it is not only the, not the path of least resistance, it can be the path of most resistance. And it could also slow down the, the, the overall engagement with the customer because when they when you show a contracting officer, hey, let's just award this through, a, through an unsolicited proposal, they may push back on you. I did because I, I thought, wow, there's unless it's really innovative, <laughs> you're adding different steps. Yeah, let me tell you how it played out with me. I, one example: contractor comes in, pitches an incredible concept, great idea. This could happen, and says we want to submit an unsolicited proposal, and you can award to a sole source. The problem was it wasn't a proprietary approach. There are a lot of companies that could do the same thing and had 
talked about similar ideas with the the program offices, right? It it was just one way to to accomplish the mission. I pretty much begged them not to sl- submit that unsolicited proposal because then it goes into the unsolicited proposal process and as we've described here, there's a formal evaluation. It causes a lot of work and we already knew it was going to be rejected. And we we're going to have to compete. There's no way we could justify a sole source award as a result of, of their idea be, being pitched to us. If they hadn't listened, we would have gotten the proposal and had to go through the process. It'd been a, whole, a big, it would have been a big runaround. We would have rejected it. And then six months later, we have a formal requirement, we release an RFP and compete for it. And they win. Imagine that, right? That they, they had the best solution. And if you think the government's RFP wasn't sort of shaped around the solution that they had heard, well, that you'd be a, a little naive. The, these we're talking about humans here, right? But totally agree with you, Kevin. I I don't think we ever called it the freak file, but it's it's yeah, not that's... it's not viewed as a as a, a favorable, wonderful process in many cases. And and the the, the guy that quoted it as a freak file, one of the commands I worked in, his name was Dave. This was his job. He was he was the unsolicited proposal monitor amongst other jobs that he had, and so he would get some of the most crazy ideas. So my point is, if that's the how that agency perceives an unsolicited proposal, that it goes into the freak file. To your point, Paul, it's like let's find another way. Yeah. Right. Um, because if you're 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 swimming upstream, if that's the mindset of of the agency. If you say, I'm going, to listen, I'm going to submit an unsolicited proposal and the agency is immediately thinking, oh boy, you're already behind the curve. As opposed to, I had this cool idea. What do you think? Like we're humans. <laughs> and like you said, you shape a, re- a requirement that shows up later. That's a more effective strategy. Dave must have made his boss mad at some point if he got, <laughs> he got the, the additional duty as the uh, keeper of the freak file. I, I don't think he kept it long because he was so harsh with them. <laughs> All right. Industry folks, this is important to understand. If your idea is not tied to a current requirement, you can go the unsolicited proposal route, but it might be easier to shape and and win a contract award by getting that requirement in the government's mind in a way that you are uniquely positioned to win when they run an abbreviated competition, hopefully abbreviated competition. Remember, they still have to justify that you are the only source capable of doing this. In episode 222, we talked about the technical versus the business sale. Technical sale is the customer wants your solution. Okay, so in this case, your unsolicited proposal, you think the customer wants your solution. An unsolicited proposal is a way to get to the contract. That's the business sale, right? But there are other ways. And so make sure you know your other options before you jump on the unsolicited proposal approach. Because the phrase unsolicited proposal means something official to government folks. We've been talking about that a lot. It is likely that you will not be viewed favorably if you submit an unsolicited proposal, especially if you didn't talk to anybody about it ahead of time. Right. Yeah. Get your customer's consent before writing or your, a big proposal or submitting a big unsolicited proposal. Again, the government can't officially endorse or direct you to submit an unsolicited proposal and they can't have direct involvement in it. But you can get a little wink nod that this might be a good idea or, or a bad idea before you do it. Remember, you're creating a lot of work for government folks who are human beings. They may not be happy if they have to do a lot of work just to, to 
reject your unsolicited proposal. And next time you come in or submit on a competition where there's a requirement in place, humans tend to remember these things, right? It, it, it's all about creating the impression of, of what kind of contractor, what kind of industry partner do you want to be for that agency? And a key concept I just realized as we're talking through this is if you don't know who at the agency you should bring up this idea of the unsolicited proposal, that's an indicator that you're just going to throw it at them and it's going to end up in the free file yeah. because they've never heard of you. They have no idea why they should care. And unless you wrote the most compelling story in your proposal, it's just going to go into a file and get little attention. One fear I've heard from industry folks about submitting an unsolicited proposal or even talking to government folks before you submit an unsolicited proposal is that the government will just take your idea, make it a requirement and run a competition, you know, give your secrets away, your secret ideas away and run a competition and give it to somebody else. The FAR actually prohibits that back to FAR 15.608 prohibitions. Government personnel should not use any data concept idea or other part of an unsolicited proposal as the basis or part of the basis for solicitation or negotiations with any other firm unless the offer, the one who submitted the unsolicited proposal, is notified of and agrees to the intended use. However, this prohibition does not preclude using any data concept or idea in the proposal that is also available from another source without restriction. So that goes back to, if your idea is truly innovative and unique, the government should be able to make a determination that you are the only source capable of providing this. If what you're talking about, that the idea is is out in the wild somewhere, then the government can just turn it around. Again, it I believe it's a great idea to talk to the government openly about your ideas and get your concepts built heavily into the requirements and the acquisition strategy. You may have a better chance of the of, of a contract award ultimately than you have of getting a, a sole source justification approved. To me, this this fifteen six zero eight is the one scenario under which an unsolicited proposal might make sense. And it's if your idea is so innovative and you want to make sure that the government is not able to run a solicitation, you, you don't want to compete with anybody else for it. it you got to protect your IP at all costs. Okay, maybe, <laughs> but there are other ways to do that, right? So, but but read sixteen fifteen six zero eight, and if if that's you, okay, then maybe an unsolicited proposal applies. But to your point, Paul. This is low probability at most. Your concept better truly be proprietary. It's really easy to put uh, a proprietary legend on, on your on your charts or on your white paper or whatever and say, oh, this is all secret. This is our proprietary idea. The government can do research and in a lot of cases can find very, very similar concepts already out there that, that aren't proprietary. So just to wrap this up, if you have an innovative, unique idea that is 100% proprietary and and it's entirely yours. An unsolicited proposal may be a way to get a direct award from the government as long as you communicate with the government customers ahead of time and get that that wink nod consent. Yes, this is a good idea and a good process. Otherwise, you may be better off following one of the more traditional government paths for for award of contracts for innovative ideas. This is yet another example of how open communication between government and industry it, it saves more effort than it takes because if we're communicating on this is something I think is an innovative idea, I would like to get this in front of, of your agency. The unsolicited proposal could be a path, 
but there are lots of other paths that could result in a sole source contract that aren't as formal as this one. And with that, Kevin, I'll talk to you later. I'll see you, Paul. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. When you need help understanding how unsolicited proposals work and understanding how the government can buy from you, Skyway's team of former contracting officers is here to help. Give us a call at 877-884-5280 or go to skywayacq.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.